Hello and Yokoso. Coming to you from Benton Co in Kyoto, Japan. This is Thomas. And this is Julianne. And you're listening to Japanese Food, a podcast where we talk to chefs, food writers, creatives, and other experts on Japanese food culture. This week, we spoke with a sommelier, shochu advisor, and food tour guide, Yukari Sakamoto. We talked about shochu, shokado bento, Yukari's experience working as a sommelier at Takashimaya Department Store and the Park Hyatt Tokyo, and much more. All right, let's dive in. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Yukari Sakamoto. Yukari is a chef, sommelier, shochu advisor, and journalist. She's the author of Food Sake Tokyo, a fantastic English language guide devoted specifically to eating and drinking in Tokyo. She currently conducts private guided food field trips in Tokyo and has also worked at Takashimaya's flagship store in Nihonbashi as a sommelier in the sake department. Yukari was born in Tokyo and raised in Minnesota. Which makes her the second Japanese food expert with Midwestern roots that we've had on our podcast. We just had Tim Anderson on our last episode.、Uh, so, From Wisconsin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for joining us, Yukari. My pleasure.、Welcome. Thank you for inviting me. It's a, an, an honor. So, as a warm up question, I've, I've seen that you've been doing some travel around Japan recently and eating a lot of good things.、Uh, I've Kind of been following along on Instagram.、Um, so, can you tell us、um, if there's any food or drink in your travels recently that made an impression on you, something that, that has stayed with you? I,、um, I did do a trip to Kanazawa recently for researching for an article for Food and Wine magazine. But the dish that, mean, that really struck me is a dish that I've had a lot in Skiji, at Skiji at the market. And why it struck me so much is that the border was closed for, so, for a few years. And it was a dish that I had eaten quite frequently before the pandemic. So, with the border reopening, with my market tours restarted, I went back to Tsukiji Cho Seon. It's actually a soba restaurant. And it's a dish of soba noodles without the broth with duck and duck fat and a tsuyu sauce. It's rich in umami. The, there are leeks that are sauteed, so the leeks become sweet. And I think I became very emotional about it because I was so happy to realize that I'm back to work. The tourists are back in Japan. I'm back at Skiji. And it's a nice, lovely soba shop that's it's funny. I had walked by it for years and never went in. And then finally, my husband, who also works at Skiji, said, Have you been to that soba shop? And I said, You know, the one in the. No, I've never been. He said, You have to go. It's, it's very good. So, knowing that the borders reopened and that I'm able to frequently visit shops that I liked from the past and have this delicious dish really hit me. I, I almost cried eating it just because it was like so joyous.、Mm, that sounds delicious. <laughs> and so, you've been busy now that. More tourists are able to come to Japan, so you've been doing your market tours again? Yep, back to Tsukiji. I also take、um, guests to the Depachika, to Nihonbashi district, which has a lot of historic food shops. Also, Shotengai, the local mom and pop shops,、um, and also up to Kapabashi, the kitchenware district. Wonderful. Yeah, we will talk more about your. Tours later on in our conversation.、Uh, 
um yeah we've also enjoyed having more travelers come to kyoto we have our our brick and mortar shop and so finally we're able to reopen that and have visitors from many countries come back to our shop and it's really lovely to have people it's nice it's it's good that we're over that mm. border being closed definitely so yukari you grew up in minnesota um And I was curious how you got your start in the world of Japanese food and drink. I know you have some Japanese roots yourself,、um, but you know, growing up in America, how did you make your way into becoming a Japanese food expert? So I was born in Tachikawa, which is actually the next city over from where I currently live. I was born on the Air Force Base, which is now a big Showa Kinen Koen Park. My mother is Japanese from Yamagata in Tohoku, and my father was working on the Air Force Base. So, born in Japan, but raised in Minnesota. And it's funny, in the 70s, when I was growing up, we had basic Japanese food. So, rice was always in the house, miso soup. We would have spinach、uh, blanched with sesame oil and soy sauce. And I remember going to a friend's house, and they had this spinach that was just awful. And I thought, no wonder. Nobody likes spinach. It was always a big joke, you know, who eats spinach? And then I realized what I'm eating at home is not the same as what my friends in Minnesota are eating.、Um, and while in Minnesota, I started working for a travel company. And because I spoke Japanese, my clients were mostly Honda,、uh, Toyota, Subaru. And I was traveling around the world supporting the executives of these.、Um, Japanese automotive companies, but staying at nice hotels and eating at very nice restaurants. And then I thought, ooh, food would be a nice thing to get into. So I quit my travel job that I had done for 10 years and went to the French Culinary Institute in New York City, <clears throat> trained, in, trained in French culinary, and then also attended the American Sommelier Association, so trained in wine. And then September 11th happened, and I had worked at the World Trade Center, which was sadly、um, hit on September 11th. And that really hit me hard. And I thought, you know what? The only thing that matters are your friends and your family. And most of my family are in, in Japan. <clears throat> and while I was working at the travel company, I actually was the dean of a summer Japanese language and immersion culture program. Where kids would come to learn Japanese, and the food was all Japanese. The staff spoke Japanese, and we would teach kids Japanese culture through summer camp. <clears throat> so I made a lot of friends through this summer camp as well. So after September 11th, I moved back to Japan, and through an introduction by Elizabeth Ando, who was on your podcast earlier, she introduced me to Coco Farm and Winery. Which is in Ashikaga in Tochigi, so just north of Tokyo. And it's a fascinating winery where it's staffed mostly by adults who are shogaisha, who have some、um, developmentally disabled adults. So they work at the vineyards, they, they prune the vines, they help with the harvest, with the crush. And I was there for three months developing my Japanese language words for work as a sommelier. So, how to describe acidity in wine and tannins and bouquet and all that. And then I ended up moving to <clears throat> the Park Hyatt 
Tokyo has a sommelier at the New York Grill and Bar, which was fantastic. It's on the 52nd floor. It's got magnificent views. The wine list is all California, so as a brand new sommelier, it was easy for me to recommend wines to clients. Um, and at the time, there were no other high-end Western hotels in Tokyo. So every night it felt like there was a new movie star. Big people were always staying at the hotel. And it was always, and it was also before Instagram or, or Twitter. So you couldn't tweet out that Hugh Grant is in the house, you know? <laughs> so it felt like a very special place. And it was also a restaurant that local Japanese would go to for special occasions. And actually my cousin came in was proposed to at this restaurant. Ooh. So it's a it's a it's a fascinating restaurant. The quality of the food is excellent. The service is amazing. The wine list is wonderful. So I was working there and then I thought I need to I would like to stay in Japan, but I don't want to work late nights anymore. Mm. I want to spend more times with my more time with my friends. So I um moved to Takashimaya department store in Nihonbashi at their flagship store has a sommelier, so helping retail customers select wine. And uh, that was a fascinating experience just because the the culture of hospitality and retail, and especially in in the department stores, is amazing. So I learned a lot about omotenashi and, and the retail service uh, in Japan. And while I was working there, I would often be asked to help customers, not with wine, but with like um, bento questions. Like, mm. what are these, what is this item in this bento? Or, or guests would have questions about seasonal seafood. So the the managers on the floor would say, Yukari-san, come help us. We need a, a translator, interpreter. So I thought somebody should write a book about Japanese food that explains food culture, seasonal ingredients, the the wonderful things that you discovered at a pachka. And at the same time, I was getting food journalists were coming to Tokyo to write about Japanese food. And because I had lived in New York, I got introductions to many of these food writers saying, hey, you know, this person from this food magazine or travel magazine is going to be in Tokyo. And I would take them through the depachka Tetsukiji. And then I thought this would be a fun job. The other thing that I did do before that was Elizabeth Ando had, I'd taken many cooking classes with her at her school, Taste of Culture. Mm. And she also did market tours. Mm. And I remember she did a market tour in Shibuya to the fish department at Tokyo, which is no longer there. The building's been changed. But I remember being so fascinated at her explanation of on this on this fish, it tells you that it's yoshoku or it's farmed, and on this fish, it says tenen. It's it's wild and natural, and this this uh, oyster says that it must be cooked. And I thought, oh wow, Elizabeth has all this ando sensei has all this information in her head, and she's so generous in sharing this with people like me who live in Tokyo, who like cooking food, but don't understand the depthness, the the depth of the Japanese food culture. So through through watching Elizabeth do her tours, 
And I, I should say Ando Sensei because she's more Ando Sensei to me than Elizabeth. So watching Ando Sensei's tours, myself starting to do um, casual tours with food writers and learning what I needed to help them understand about Japanese food culture, I started uh, doing market tours as a side job at first, and then it became a full-time job. The park I had bought Get back to this. It's it's the one in, in Lost in Translation, right? Yes, yes. Mm. And, and have you been? No, no. Oh, you I you have think... to go. It's 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 the most beautiful. And the it's on the fifty second floor, and it has super high ceilings. Mm. It's it's just a magical space. And the Hyatt hotels do excellent cuisine at all of their properties, but the New York Grill and Bar in particular is a very special place. So. Highly recommend. Mm, and you do you. get that lost in translation. You know, you get uh, chills when you first walk mm. in because it's so fascinating. I also remember like a, an episode of Anthony Bourdain in Tokyo. Yes, was there yes. As well, right? yes exactly. Mm. It's, the, it's the one place that every yeah. media wants to get to, to film mm. at because it's such an iconic place. But it's but it's good not just for the the view, but the cuisine is good, the wine list is good, the cocktail program is actually very good, and mocktails there are super as well, mm. the non-alcoholic cocktails. Thomas, let's take a field trip and go to Tokyo. Yeah, yeah, we should go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kind of you had such uh, rich experiences at these iconic institutions. I mean, the Park Hyatt, and then also Takashimaya, which is. Uh, the you know very famous um, you know historic uh, department store in Japan, um, so you've got to experience kind of like that Western Japanese um, hospitality in in both ways. So that's that's really cool that you've you've had those yeah. experiences. I'm very I'm very blessed by that, and it also helped, especially working at Takashimaya, helped me to write the book Food Sake Tokyo because. Every day I was learning something new, and it's funny, for my lunch breaks, I would always buy different bento, and my colleagues would say, oh, Yukari, you're going to go broke. And I said, but this is what life is all about, is enjoying good food, and why not? Every day I can pick a new bento, and there are always pop-ups. Mm. So there, every week there are new vendors in there, and then I could ask them questions about, well, tell me about this Kyoto dashimaki tamago and it's it tastes different from the tokyo version and they say well in tokyo you guys add sugar but in kyoto we don't so i was constantly learning as well so it was an education through work which was fascinating mm. yeah because the depachika bentos they're on the a bit pricier and they're not your standard kind of a supermarket or kombini bento they have no. they're yes. special they're made you know they have a lot of regional uh, specialities so yes or like i could have an iseya yakitori bento and iseya is a famous yakitori shop that is now a hundred years old but the fact that i could purchase it at my workplace and enjoy it was um a, a treat so i felt fortunate and i was single at the time i didn't need to save money for my family so enjoying bento was my luxury <laughs> Do you, do you remember any other um, memorable bento from your time there that you ate? Oh, all, all, all of them. Yeah. Every, every, yeah, <laughs> everything. And even now, I, I actually walked through Nihonbashi Takashimaya yesterday, 
And again, I was, I was just like a little kid in a candy store. It was like, oh, this is so exciting. The fish cakes and the skemono, the pickles and everything. So yeah, even for someone who worked there for two years, Depachka never loses its, its charm. Mm. Mm. Is the Takashimaya Depachka is the best one for you in Tokyo? Uh, you know, it's hard, it's hard for me to go there because I still know a lot of people. So I can't you know, linger too long without being stopped saying, you know, how are you? I do like just down, I, I, down the street from there is uh, Nihonbashi Mitsukoshi, which is the oldest mm. department store in Tokyo. And that has many types of bento. It's got a big seafood department. The Wagyu selection is big. There's a high-end fruit shop in there. And the... Um, Their pop-up section for weekly pop-up shops is quite big as well. And the other thing I love about Nihonbashi Mitsukoshi is there's, and Takashimaya as well, both in Nihonbashi. They both have beautiful rooftop terraces. So you can buy a bento in the basement, go up to the rooftop, and there's a vending machine up there where you can get tea or water. Um, and when I was working at Takashimaya, the one of the managers said, Tell this person, you know, the, the tourists to buy a beer and take it to the rooftop. They're on vacation, you know. So if you're on holidays, pick up a cold beer or a chilled sake in the sake department and ask for a small tasting cup, which they have, and go up to the rooftop. Um, so Mitsukoshi in Nihonbashi is beautiful. And the rooftop is also, there's a covered section. So if it's, if the weather's a little iffy, you can still be covered. That sounds fantastic. That's a great recommendation. Yeah. yeah. And it's fun. It's a local, in some of my Depachika tours, I tell the customer before we start the Depachika section, you know, there is a rooftop and the weather's lovely today. So it's fun. You're not always eating in a restaurant. It's nice to be outside and, and with other locals who are doing the same thing. You're mentioning, um, I think in the intro to your book, Food Sake Tokyo, the, uh, And motivation for writing the book is that you saw many tourists kind of dazed walking around in the Depachika, you know, overwhelmed with so many interesting and beautiful looking foods and not knowing what anything is, you know. So um, I think having a guide is, you know, opens up the world so powerfully. It, it, going, you know, without a guide is still very enjoyable, but I think having someone to take you by the hand or at the very least having a guidebook like the one that you wrote, which is really fantastic, it just adds so much depth um, to the experience, which, yeah, which you yourself probably experienced with uh, Ando Sensei, you know, you, you, you yes. wanted to pass that on um, and exactly. be able to provide that yourself. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. I'm curious, what are some of the common questions uh, the tour participants have when you're doing your Depachika tours? Are there any ingredients that they're particularly puzzled by? It's, it's fun because I, I meet some clients at the beginning of their stay in Japan, and I can help point them out tips for things that they should look for while they're there. <clears throat> But the fun sometimes it's fun to meet them at the end of their stay after they've been in, in Japan for a week or 10 days or two weeks. And then they really have pointed questions because they recognize food that they've seen, but they have no idea what it was. So konyaku 
is something that they say, oh, that was chewy, but what is it? And so I can tell them how it comes from a root vegetable and how it's dried and desiccated and made into powder and reconstituted. Or namafu, the fresh wheat gluten. Um, the konyaku is probably the one thing uh, that is the biggest surprise to everyone. And the other thing is a lot of people comment on how exquisite everything is packaged and presented. Mm. Especially at Debachika, you see that yes. demonstrated. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And then, you know, I can point out in a bento, you usually see the five colors. So red, yellow, green, black and white. You see five tastes, five cooking methods. It just makes the bento more appealing, more nutritional more delicious. And if you're cooking at home and you follow those guidelines, it helps you. It, at first, it might sound overwhelming to think, oh, I need five colors. I need five cooking methods. I need this. I need that. But actually, once you get into the routine of things, it becomes a, a way to help you organize yourself in the kitchen. So when I was cooking bento for my husband, um, I would sometimes put put everything in and I look down and say, Ooh, nothing red. So I would grab a cherry tomato and just toss it in there on umeboshi and put it on the rice. And you're like, there it's done. I've checked all the boxes. Yes. Ando sensei also gave those helpful guidelines as well in her episode too. Yeah. I'm sure and that's where, that's where I got it from. Mm. She's a wonderful sensei. Yes, truly. And I'm sure seeing all the examples of bento at Depachika also uh, kind of helps you get that uh, vocabulary or that those guidelines when you're making bento yeah. yourself. Mm. Yeah. And also you get the you learn about the seasonality of ingredients has, you know, has the has the seasons changed, the ingredients change. With your many credentials, uh, you are also a shochu advisor. I am not familiar with this term. Um, can you explain what a shochu advisor does and, and what, what, yeah. you, what is required to become a shochu advisor? Also, what, so, what is shochu? Because not everyone yeah. knows the difference with sake. And shochu. So while I was working at Takashimaya, um, <clears throat> the store, the sake department said, we, you can cross-train in another speciality. So since I was already a sommelier, they said, Yukari, if you want to attend classes, we will pay for your classes so you can study sake or shochu. And this was about 20 years ago. And I thought, oh, John Gottner, he's already doing sake. So let me do something different. So I chose shochu. And shochu is a distilled spirit. That is the good quality shochu is distilled only once. So you retain the flavors of the base ingredient. And common ingredients that shochu is made from include sweet potato, barley, black sugar. But it can also be made from other ingredients like shiso, oh. which gives a minty, very unique uh, shochu. The distilled spirit, unlike rum and vodka, which is usually 45% alcohol, this is 25 usually. And when you drink shochu, it's often watered down with either hot or cold water. So a 25% uh, shochu is down to 15 or 16 or even less, depending on how much water you put into it. So 
It's it's similar to a glass of wine. I love that it can be drink can be consumed warm, which is fun in the winter time. And the other good thing is because it's distilled, you don't need to finish it, you know, shortly after purchasing it. You can open it and keep it in a dry, cool spot in your house. So you can enjoy it um, for for several months. Unlike sake, um, which is better to drink soon, sooner, once you sooner open Sooner than, yeah, yeah, more similar to wine. So, um, yeah, shochu is great. It's a, it's a very food-friendly item. And again, the fact that you can drink it hot or cold means that you can enjoy it all year long. Um, and it was, it was, it was, it was fun studying for it. And my girlfriend who was already a sake specialist was studying, wanted to study wine. So we would get together after work and she would help me with the kanji because it was all done in Japanese. And then I could help her answer any wine questions that she had. And it was fun. In the end, we both passed our exams. So it's fun. And the other good thing about understanding shochu is if you travel to Kyushu in particular, where shochu is more prevalent, you can really get great shochu and food pairings that are that are pretty fascinating. Is is one of them uh, the karashi denkon? Is that good with shochu? I think uh, yeah, Tim Anderson the, was yep, talking about that last good, time. That's good with the rice shochu from Kumamoto. Oh. Um, I also like in Kumamoto the basashi, which is the raw sashimi from horse mm. with the kome shochu. Yeah. What is kome shochu? Right, rice shochu. It's the rice shochu. And shochu from rice. Okay. It could be like huh. but because it's potatoes or mugi, right? Yep. Um, uh, imo is the sweet potato and uh, soba is the buckwheat. Um, but yeah, the, the, the local, the kyodo ryori, the local foods really pair well with the local shochu. Mm. And it's funny, that was part of the exam for shochu was knowing kyodo ryori, the local dishes of each prefecture in Kyushu. You had to study that. So at the time, I was like, oh, it's this is so, you know, I haven't been. I don't know what these flavors taste like. But studying it, it was imprinted in my brain so that when I did visit Kyushu, suddenly everything fell into place. And you're like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> That's why it's so important to understand Kyodo Ryori, the local dishes and the local drinks. Hmm. The food pairings, for your yeah. so for the um, licensing the the exam process. So there was a written component, and was there like a tasting component? There was as a well? a written and a blind tasting, mm. and I had to you know write it and you know write about what this what the shochu was, what I thought it was, and what I would pair it with. Mm. This podcast is brought to you by Bento and Co. Based in beautiful Kyoto, Japan, Vento & Co. has been helping people around the world eat healthier, reduce their environmental impact, and save money with authentic Japanese bento boxes since 2008. Discover bento boxes, cookware, food, and more at en.bentoandco.com or click the link in our show notes and use code PODCAST for 10% off your first order. Yeah, it was fun. And of course, everybody was looking at me. Who is this? You know, 
who is this guy, Gene? I don't look half Japanese necessarily. So um, I felt a little more pressure in there, but um, I passed in the end. So, mm. yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Arigato. <laughs> yeah, I think sake is becoming more well-known and appreciated outside of Japan, but shochu, maybe not as much yet, but maybe there will be a shochu uh, boom, you know, shochu. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's starting, you're starting to see mm. shochu, mm. but sake is definitely far more recognized and far more popular just because it's more available. But shochu, you also, can you use that also to make um, umeshu, which is a very popular yep. drink among yep. foreigners. I have, when I have foreign friends um, come visit, they always rave about umeshu. So maybe that's one good entry point for uh, appreciating shochu too. You should start them on yuzushu next. Mm, yuzushu. yuzushu is something Ooh. everybody, when they try it, their eyes just pop open like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. I've never yeah. tried it. There's something that, about the aromatics of yuzu that is just irresistible. Sounds good. But I, I agree with you on the shot, on the umeshu. The other thing is, have you tried the kokuto umeshu? There's a black sugar no. umeshu from no. Choya. Uh, oh. <clears throat> oh, that's that's also delicious. So look look it up. Look look for it. It's not too expensive. It's in a black bottle from Choya, which is a big producer. Mm. But something about the black sugar and the ume is very good. Mm. There's a Choya Choya store really close to Benton called store in Kyoto, so we should try. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've tried a Hachimitsu, yeah, Hachimitsu umeshu, mm. but not nice. the brown sugar one. Mm. Yeah, it's good. So, so yeah, <clears throat> so you worked as a sommelier at Takashimaya. Uh, yes. Uh, what what was the, I'm not sure when exactly, but I re remember like a few years ago, like Japanese whiskey started to become very, very uh, popular uh, yeah. in the US, in Europe, right? Yes. Uh, what's, so what's your experience about Japanese it's, whiskey? It's, fas it's fascinating because when I worked at Takashimaya, many um, Europeans would come in and they would look at the whiskey prices and then they would look at me and they would, you know, they would like confirm the price. Is this Is this the price? And I would confirm and they would say... Sometimes they would say it's cheaper here than what we pay for it back home. Um, that I, I'm talking about Scottish whiskeys, like from 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 there. But uh, so the what 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 changed or what happened was there was a whiskey writer who proclaimed a Japanese whiskey to be the best in the world. And what's interesting was it was a whiskey that wasn't made for the domestic market. It was made only for export market. So um, if you came to the Depachka looking for this whiskey number one in the world, it wasn't sold in Japan. But I think that one article really changed whiskey. The, the, it put Japanese whiskey on everyone's radar after that. Um, so... Sadly, I think what's happened is you get a lot of people buying it here and reselling it. And the the issue that's come up is that the Japanese whiskey distillers are not able were not able to keep up with the demand. So now it's and I am in the different depachka all the time. It's you just don't find aged 
whiskey anymore because it's just not in stock. Um, so you could you could still you can visit Miyagi Kyo in Sendai, just mm. outside of Sendai, but even there they're not selling at the at the shop there. They're not selling any aged any you know 10 year 15 year whiskey because it's just not not in not in stock sadly yeah i think like 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 very expensive bordeaux wine bourgogne wine like whiskey collectors in europe and and hong kong and, and us like bought a lot of japanese whiskey and just you know, to collect them maybe yep. selling them in 10 20 years like as yep. an invest, investment more than exactly to taste mm. yeah but if you're going to buy it, you should drink it. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. Like a good wine. Exactly. <clears throat> mm, so there's a problem of stockpiling and leading to... Yeah. Yeah. But also the fact that it's it, it became so popular. Yeah. Mm. Maybe with the border closed, they had a chance to catch up. I'm just... Mm. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Uh, and maybe one... An issue here is like it became popular like a bit too late. I I, I think I read like a lot of small uh, whiskey distillery like just sh closed their door like in in the nineties or early two thousand yes. right in yep. in Sapporo or Toku. Yep, and the um, Chichibu distillery. Mm. Um, his father had closed, stopped making whiskey, but then the son brought it back but only after his father had sold it. So, yeah. yeah. You know, there's so many great, wonderful beverages in Japan. Actually, Japanese wine, too, can be very fun. The koshu, the white grape, is nice. Um, yeah, they, it's, it's uh, no matter what your drinking pleasure, if you love tea, you can find wonderful teas in Japan. Mm -hmm. yeah. The whiskey, About the shochu, the sake, yeah. You know, it's, it's, I have a friend who's a winemaker in Nagano. We worked together at Coco Farm in Ashikaga and, and that was his dream. And so he's, you know, made his own, he's growing his own grapes. But, you know, you see the Japanese attention to detail, to following the rules, you know, and doing the, the things that the best that you can. And then you get these wonderful products. What what will, would you recommend to eat with uh, a Japanese white wine? With a Japanese white wine, I would do yeah. uh, skemono, some pickles, some sashimi, rice, um, maybe like a simmered uh, a simmered fish in a sweet soy sauce base. So it's gonna pair well with washoku, more than like French cooking. Yeah. For me, for me, I would with the Japanese, the Japanese wines. I would stick more washoku, or I would take a small bottle on a bento for like a hanami mm. sakura bento, uh, the spring vegetables. That sounds good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'll do that next <laughs> yeah. time. Oh, hanami. Very nice. Well, thank you so much, Yukari, for your time today. Um, to wrap things up, I want to ask you the question that we ask all of our guests. What is your dream bento? So my dream bento is 
um, at a third-generation kaiseki restaurant called Nihonbashi Yukari. It's funny that we share the same name, and I've become friends. I actually do, um, I interpret for the chef for some food events. So uh, Chef Kimio Nonaga, and his restaurant's name is Nihonbashi Yukari. And whenever we email each other back, I always sign mine, Kokubunji Yukari, which is where I live. So, so we always have a good laugh about it. In the evenings, it's a kaiseki restaurant. There's a long counter or there's tables and there's koshitsu, the private rooms with the tatami mats. Um, but I like to sit at the counter. Nonaga-san is very engaging. And he's often on Japanese television doing cooking lessons. And every time I'm with him, I learn something new and um i had asked him once ponzu and he said oh you got he and he he says it's easy everything for him is easy and he explains it so that it is easy so ponzu one part each of soy sauce mirin and yuzu or a tart citrus so in the u.s i would use lime juice and every time we make obento at or uh donabe at home hot pots i always make a nonaga-san's recipe for um, ponzu. But at lunch at his restaurant, he does a shokado bento, which is almost like a mini kaiseki meal. So there are four large parts that actually the meal starts with a, uh, a, a custard, like a chawanmushi, which is hot in the wintertime, cold in the summertime. He's very modern. He puts um, cheese on it. Mm. So it's this, um, the, the eggs with the, with the cheese is ama amazing. And then in his bento, which is beautiful, when it first arrived, you don't want to touch anything. There's a sashimi with um, julienne vegetables on top, and he puts a natto dare, a natto sauce on top of it. One section is tempura, seasonal um, seafood and vegetables. Another corner is the buta kakuni, so simmered pork belly. And then the fourth section is almost like a mini hasun, so many small bites, all prepared different ways. And then, of course, it comes with a rice, which is usually a takikomi gohan, so rice that he's cooked with ingredients. Tsukemono, which he makes in the restaurant, and miso soup. And Nonaga-san is also fascinating because he does desserts, which you usually don't see at restaurant at kaiseki it's usually a slice of fruit at the end but he does an ice cream with kinako so roasted soybean powder black beans and uh, kudomitsu black sugar syrup that's so amazing um, and i don't have a sweet tooth but this combination of the roasted soybeans and the black sugar becomes like a salted caramel somehow so um it's fascinating. And I sit and every time, even though I'm enjoying the meal, we're talking and he, I learn new lessons and new techniques for cooking. So I'm constantly taking notes um, while I'm dining there. And it's a restaurant that you can go in and sit by yourself or you can go with a girlfriend. Um, the only thing is you need to order the bento ahead of time. You have to reserve it in advance. You can't just walk in. But if you're near Tokyo Station or near Takashimaya and Nihonbashi, you could walk in and do a set lunch with grilled fish, simmered fish, sashimi, tempura. Um, but the, the, his shokado bento is, um, if I need a special treat for myself, myself a gohobi, I will book a seat at uh, 
Nihonbashi Yukari and do the Shokado Bento. Amazing. And you also mm. posted a picture of, of, of the Bento on your Instagram today, I right? I did, to share with your listeners Great. so that they can see. We will share the, the, the photo as well as on Instagram too. Um, where can people find you online? Uh, where, where can they book your market tours if they're interested? So I'm on Twitter, and it's funny what I I'm on Twitter at uh, Yukari Sakamoto, or I'm on Instagram at Food Sake Tokyo. So you can, and I also have a blog, foodsaketokyo.com. Um, so through one of those places, the only thing is my tours are limited to two people. So unfortunately, I I it's just so hard to walk through. The market with a group of more than two, you know, two people plus me um, is already kind of intrusive on the market. So I, I limit the tours to two people um, and weekdays only as weekends are for family. Um, but uh, yeah, I love introducing people to Japanese food. And part of my services is I also help them with food after the tour or before the tour. So recommendations on where to eat tips on like if you're riding the Shinkansen to get a bento at Tokyo Station and some sake um, or during their stay if they have questions about food that they ate you know they can send me a photo and I can help them understand what's what so it's fun it's it's a great um, it's fun I have clients that are in Kanazawa right now so I help send some recommendations for where to eat and drink and it's been fun seeing postings of of them going to these places so i love i love eating well and enjoying good food and i love having my clients make those same connections japan is perfect for that oh yes yeah mm. and if you don't speak the language or you know know the local foods that's part of the pleasure of saying you know in kyoto be sure to have the tofu because it's so nice Mm. Yeah, or the skemono, the pickles, the pickles in in Kyoto are amazing. So, yeah, yeah, we are lucky to be here, and it's you noon are. now. So, <laughs> great. Well, everyone, please follow Yukari's work because she's a wealth of has wealth of information and knowledge about great restaurants all over Japan and about Japanese cooking. So, be sure to follow her online. Arigato. And I hope to make it to Kyoto because I love bento. I love bento, all, all things bento. So I hope to make it to your store to see. I can see online you have a fascinating collection of bento and bento supplies, the fudoshiki to wrap them up and everything. So I hope, I hope more people can go to your shop to select bento in person because that's when you really feel them in your hands and you're like, this is what I want to make bento at home thank you we're waiting for you anytime <laughs> okay i i hope to come great thank you yukari it was such a pleasure to talk to you today Arigato gozaimasu. Thank, thank you thanks for listening to this episode of japanese food this podcast is brought to you by bento and co and is produced by julianne picardle and thomas bertrand if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast please subscribe and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To stay up to date with the podcast, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Japanese Food Pod.